uh, ladies, and, and I hope all here are, are here. I know your, your day today is set aside to honor mothers. And so we're going to do that in a number of ways. Ladies, we have a number of, of ways that we want to bless you today. We've set aside the message today. The message is a gift for you. Uh, and, and I say that in particular because sometimes it's kind uh, of, you know, what can we do special for the ladies? Well, you know, as a pastor, I can't give you a more important gift than the Word of God preached, especially brought to the doorstep of where you live. Uh, so that's the greatest gift I think the church has to give to you today in this setting. But in addition to that, we're going to pray for you at the end of the service. And, you know, that's not just uh, a, the little sincerely above you write your name. It's the power of God available in your life for this calling that God has placed upon your life. So we're going to spend some time praying for you. And then on your way out, uh, we're going to have you take with you a gourmet designer cookie designed just for moms this morning. So (laughs) those will be available to you on the way out. Let me say this. I was trying to think through, okay, how how do I get started with a Mother's Day message? Um... This thought comes to me. No one outserves a mom. No one. I'm not sure what you know the origins of the word mother really are. I probably should study that out so we know where does that word come from. But it, it's it should have its origins in servant because no one outserves a mom. You know, you guys might remember we honored folks here uh, in January, I think it was, uh, in December as well. Folks who are serving in all the different capacities that make our church sort of happen. And we have many, many, many categories of people, and we honored them. They take their time. They lay down their lives. They come and they serve here. And we are grateful beyond measure for folks who find the church an object of their servanthood. But no one outserves a mom. Did I say that already? No one outserves a mom. Now the problem is when you call a mom, you immediately close your eyes to serving. Right? If they're not a mom and they bump into your life, you think, oh my gosh, that person's so incredible. They came and they served, blah, blah, blah. If you're a mom, it's kind of like you just close your eyes and you don't recognize. Moms serve unbelievably. Right? Now I have front row seats to watching the hero mom that I have in my life serve my family and my children. I watched my hero mom go to bed last night after 1 o'clock seeking to serve her daughter who has a burgeoning cooking business taking place um, and then get up this morning at 5 o'clock to further serve. And that wouldn't be unusual. And, of course, that schedule got created because earlier in the evening she was serving another daughter by going to a concert that she had going on, a concert where she learned to play an instrument because the mom served her to help her learn to play an instrument. Right Now, I could go on and on and on. And looking at the men in here, you could go on and on and on too, couldn't you? We could sit here all day and just listen to the men in households talk about unbelievable servanthood of women who are moms in our midst. So no one outserves a mom. And so any gift, ladies, that we have for you today, uh, it's going to fall short. There's no way we could be as thankful as we need to be for your servanthood and your care as a mom in our lives. 
But I'm going to wax poetic here with you this morning. I actually wrote a poem for mothers this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the poem actually bears the title of the message, Motherhood, a Means of Seeing God. I think we've got it on the board there, so if I'm not as clear, you can read along with me. You often stood in wonder as you dreamed of what it's like to be a mom, to give your life to your precious little tyke. For some, those years came quickly, and you became a mother, while some were left to worry as you held the child of others. The infants turned to toddlers, and one became a few. You never had considered the effect this would have on you. The joy, the work, the hopes and dreams these years with them afford. But teenage years were coming. My, 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 dear Lord. (laughs) No longer would they hold your hand or join you when you sing. They've got their own ideas now and unlimited texting. (laughs) The ones who once said, change me, now start to wear your clothes. You wave to them from the door as they drive off down the road. They're off to meet the person who they'll call husband or wife. They're still your child. You're still their mom. But so now changes life. They'll start their own small family. And just when you think you're done, you get a newfound insight. You've only just begun. (laughs) It's time for them to live the life your motherhood supported. Through Facebook, text, and visits, you'll hear these things reported. You prayed and taught and talked and fought to to help them get to see. Now you get to hear them say that God's now changing me. But what's the deal, this life you've lived, that we would call a mother? You laughed, you cried, you nearly died. But what did you discover How precious are these passing years in a life that comes and goes. But one thing you'll remember most, the God you came to know. That script was written by you guys, listening to you tell your stories and watching moms interact with their little ones and watching years change and seasons change and moms in different places. So we want to pray for you in those various places at the end of the service. But turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1 where we get to see a young woman who lived that story and motherhood became a means for her of seeing God. If you're not familiar with this part of the Bible, we're about 1,100 years approximately before Christ, so before Jesus Christ comes to earth, 1,100 years previous to that, we're going to get introduced here to a young woman, I might just say a a nobody from nowhere, who made her way into the Bible, and that's a pretty amazing thing. Read you a good portion of her story, and her story is... Pretty much going to let you hear all of her story here this morning. So we're going to read a good bit of Samuel here. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroim, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. 
He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up every year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with her three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. The child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, they brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him 
to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Father, thank you for preserving this story so that you could communicate to us today truths that we need, insights that we need. Lord, I pray insights today, particularly from mothers in our midst who will be affected by the living word of God as true today as it ever has been. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a really interesting beginning to this book, 1 Samuel. When you pick up this part of the history of God's people, you're reading in this moment about a nation that's a religious nation. Its whole, its whole existence is based in its relationship to God. And their relationship with God has gone really, really bad. This is a very low time for the nation of Israel. There is a religious national moral crisis taking place. Now, would you think this is where the story would start? All right, listen to this from John Phillips. He writes, the book of 1 Samuel begins with failure. The early events of 1 Samuel took place in the time frame covered by the latter chapters of the book of Judges, which has a bizarre story to it if you want to read it and catch up on a man who chops up his wife's body parts and sends it all over the nation. Just leave it at that. That might make you read it. The last verse of Judges describes the times. It says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was decay, defeat, and disorganization everywhere. There was no authority, no spirituality, no continuity. Nothing in which God could delight. The Israelites did whatever they pleased. Instead of God's people taking the lead in the world, the world was pouring God's people into its mold. The priesthood was corrupt, and the high priest was a feeble old man who should have retired years earlier. Now, you would think... Where do you start if you're writing 1 Samuel? Where do you start? Start with some key political figure? Start sort of in the White House? Start in the epicenter of religious activity? Start with Eli? No, the story starts with some obscure young woman who's desperate to be a mom. And she's going to give birth to a guy named Samuel. Now, if you've read the rest of the Bible, you know Samuel is the man. The Bible says up until the time that Samuel came, word from the Lord was rare. No one heard anything from God. It's like their lives and their relationship to God had made the heavens go silent until Samuel. And Samuel opens again the pipeline of God relating to and speaking to his people. So Samuel is the man, but we don't even start with Samuel here. We start with a young woman. She's a nobody. She just wants to have children. There's a burning ambition in her heart. It's a good ambition to be a mom. You know what? When God decides it's time for my people to get awakened, that's where he puts his finger. It's just bizarre. If you're studying this, you'd think here's the epicenter of activity, but the storyline begins over here in the countryside in some podunk town with a woman who's just very unhappy about her situation. And that's where God starts. Can I just let you hold on to that? Ladies, especially, when your life seems obscure, it seems in the middle of nowhere, it seems like 
you know, laundry, you're not going to get famous for laundry, ladies. I don't know if that's occurred to you. You might do a Tide commercial, but no one's going to remember you if you do. But there's something significant going on in you when you're doing laundry, when you're relating to your children. Because you don't know how you got a Samuel in your own house. And you don't know that you're about to have a Samuel in your own house. So don't, don't think that the big stuff's going on somewhere else. Listen, if you think that, you'd have started the storyline with Eli. You'd have started the story in Jerusalem or in Shiloh at that point, north of Jerusalem. But the place to start this storyline was in this woman's life in obscurity. So let's learn some lessons from Hannah's story of motherhood. I'm just going to make a few points here to get us to the main one I, I want us to look at. First, we learn something of the inherent importance, power, and weightiness of motherhood. When you listen to this woman's experience, right, go back through a few of these words. Look in verse 6. Her rival used to provoke her, to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. This was a, a grievous irritation in this woman's life. This was not a casual category for her. This was something that meant a huge amount to her. Elkanah, her husband, tried to comfort her. Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Being a mother for this woman created grief and sadness, a sense of heart sickness that would at some points keep her from even eating. She couldn't even put food in her mouth because of a desperate longing that was in her heart. Listen, can I, can I just make a quick note to all the ladies here? You have a unique calling in your life. I don't think there's anything else on the planet like it. I don't think that there's a person outside of being a mother who could explain it. And I don't even think if you're a mother, you can explain it. You go through this unique connection with your child. Nine months connected through an umbilical cord. And once that gets severed, 90 years connected of an emotional cord. <laughs> right, yeah, that, that child is physically separated from you, but you cannot separate a child from the heart of a mother. A mother carries that child like there's an umbilical emotional cord from your heart into that child's life. And whether they're little bitting in diapers or cute running behind you or moving into adolescence or they're married and have children or they've moved away and they're adults, you don't ever stop carrying that child uniquely in your heart. All right, so permission here. Don't be surprised, lady, by the weight and the emotional complexity of being a mom. If you wake up on a regular basis feeling like you need to be medicated, it's understandable. <laughs> this is a unique thing you've got going on in your life. If you normalize it, because there's lots of people with lots of children, if you normalize it, you're going to make a huge mistake. Because this sits in your life like nothing else sits in your life. You, you can see that in Hannah. Even before she had children. How this affected her, just the desire to be a mom. All right, now let's, let's deal honestly here with a moment. 
how many of you know, as, as sincere as Hannah was, she had no idea what she was asking for. <laughs> moms, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, how many of you moms were ready to be a mom when you became a mom, right? I mean, just, yeah, I got this thing down. Well, you know, actually, I don't think anybody's ready to be a mom. I, I don't think... I don't think it's possible, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you something today that might help you. If you don't have children yet, this is, I'm sure, compiled by moms. This is maybe a little preparation, a little test to help prepare you for one day having children. So if you don't have children, take some notes here, pay careful attention. These are some tests you can do to prepare yourself to be a mom, all right? Just a few tests. Here's test number one. It's called the mess test. Here's what you do. First, you smear peanut butter on the sofa and the curtains. Now rub your hands in the wet flower bed and rub that on the walls. Cover the stains with crayons. Place a fish stick behind the couch. Leave it there all summer. (laughs) Just things you can do to get ready for motherhood. How about the toy test? The toy test is a helpful one. Obtain a 55-gallon box of Legos. If Legos are not available, you may substitute roofing tacks or broken bottles. Have a friend spread them all over the house. Put on a blindfold. Try to walk to the bathroom or kitchen. Do not scream. This could wake a child at night. The grocery store test, just to prepare you for shopping with children. Borrow one or two small animals. Goats are best. And take them with you as you shop at the grocery store. (laughs) Always keep them in sight and pay for anything they eat or damage. (laughs) Uh. Then there's the feeding test. When you have children, you have to feed them. That can be a challenge, trust me. Obtain a large plastic milk jug. Fill halfway with water. Suspend from the ceiling with a stout cord. Start the jug swinging. Try to insert spoonfuls of soggy cereal. (laughs) such as Fruit Loops or Cheerios, into the mouth of the jug with, while pretending to be an airplane. Now dump the contents of the jug on the floor. Just a feeding test. All right, here, here's the night test. You're going to want to be aware of this one. Prepare by obtaining a small cloth bag and fill it with 8 to 12 pounds of sand. Soak it thoroughly in water. At 8 p.m., begin to waltz and hum with the bag until 9 p.m. Lay down your bag and set your alarm for 10 (laughs) p.m. Get up, pick up your bag, and sing every song you have ever heard. Make up about a dozen more and sing these until 4 a.m. Set the alarm for 5 a.m. Get up and make breakfast. Keep this up for five years. Look cheerful. (laughs) Uh, Physical test. You might want to physically prepare to test yourself, ladies. Obtain a large green, uh, large beanbag chair and attach it to the front of your clothes. <laughs> Leave it there for nine months. Now remove ten of the beans. <laughs> oh. Hey, look, that's sympathy. That's not tease, that's sympathy. I feel for you. It's a shame what happens there, you know? Oh. All right, men, here's a physical test for you men who might be entertaining, partnering with your wife and motherhood. This is my particular favorite, actually, by the way. Go to the nearest drugstore. Set your wallet on the counter. (laughs) Ask the clerk to help himself. (laughs) 
Now proceed to the nearest food store. Go to the head office and arrange for your paycheck to be directly deposited to the store. <laughs> Purchase a newspaper. Go home and read it quietly for the last time. <laughs> uh, now, this one you'll enjoy. Once you've had children, you'll appreciate this. This is the final assignment to test you if you've not yet had children. Find a couple who already has a small child. Lecture them on how they can improve their discipline, patience, tolerance, toilet training, and child's table manners. Suggest many ways that they can improve. Emphasize to them that they should never allow their children to run riot. Enjoy this experience. It will be the last time you will have all the answers. <laughs> so if you're thinking of having children, ladies, you probably don't know what you're getting into which is true for Hannah, and it's true all over the Bible. You know, if you visited some of the ladies who longed to have children in the Scriptures, and they were so strung out by not being able to venture into motherhood, you'd have to imagine they didn't really know what that was going to mean for their lives. Right? Do, you think, uh, do you think Rebecca... Isaac's wife really knew what was awaiting her in motherhood that she longed for. Remember, she had, she had twins, right? I mean, twins can be cute and alarming. Her twins were particularly alarming, right? Esau and Jacob were her twins. Do you remember how that story develops? I mean, probably they were cute when they were little, but as they got older, that mom had some problems on her hands. Rivalry developed. One was a conniver and a trickster, played tricks on his brother, stole his birthright with his mom's help. This is a complicated family environment. And then the other brother has some real anger management issues and plots and decides, I'm going to kill him. Mom finds out. Mom encourages son to go to another country. Mom will never see son again yet she will know that he's on the run from my other son who wants to kill him. Right? Sometimes being the mom of adult children has its challenges, doesn't it? Rachel, she longed for children. Right? Jacob had multiple wives, and all these other wives are giving birth to all these other children, and she can't have kids. She's longing for children. Do you think she was anticipating the day when all the other boys in the family would rise up against her son? would betray him, would sell him into slavery, into Egypt, and he'd move away to a faraway land where he knew no one, rejected by his family and the people that mattered the most to him. Do you think that she was thinking about that day? Do you think Jochebed, Moses' mom, was thinking about, I can't wait to have children. I can't wait for the day that I have to put forth some bizarre level of faith, and I have to take my infant and put him in a basket and push him out into a river and let him float away to save his life. That probably wasn't being discussed at the, uh, the baby shower that was had for Moses. And listen, you, you really don't know what you're getting into, do you, moms? When you wanted to have little ones and life was in front of them, 
and you would carry motherhood in such a way that their life would so affect you. What Hannah is longing for, she really doesn't realize what's lying ahead of her. We learn from Hannah's story something of the sovereignty of God in motherhood. You know, what, what is the sovereignty of God? Sovereignty of God is it's a big, complicated phrase that basically means that the God of the universe is in control of every moment that ever existed, every situation that ever existed. The God of the universe is in control of that. Every aspect of your life is superintended by the involvement, oversight, and intentionality of God. You are not at any moment in a universe that is out of control. That's a complicated thing to get your mind around, especially when you read stuff like in this story where the Bible says the Lord closed her womb. Why was it that Hannah all these years was, was so intensely desirous of having children and could not? And then the circumstances of her life, she's got another rival in her home, another wife who's bearing children one after another to her husband, and that woman's got an attitude. I mean, Lord, Lord, do you see what's going on here in my life? This is where the sovereignty of God takes on difficulty but necessity, is when your life takes a left turn that you can't explain. When life becomes unpleasant, to you. When life is pleasant, aren't we all in agreement that God is sovereign? And aren't we all thankful for it? It's only when life suddenly becomes unpleasant, it, it sort of veers off the course that we can understand. The things that we call good, motherhood is good, and she desired motherhood, but she couldn't and couldn't and couldn't and couldn't. And then you think it'd be bad enough, it's just her and her husband not being to have children. No, 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 there's another woman living in our own household and spitting them out like a rabbit. I wonder what that's doing for my husband. She's giving him sons. I wonder if his heart is departing from me, going to her. And, that, and then she's a, she's a tease and a difficult woman as well. And you've got to be wondering if you're Hannah, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? This thought from Jerry Bridges is it concerns children and the sovereignty of God. He says, another common arena of struggle with trusting God is in the, the area of childlessness. Many couples pray for years without any results for children to be born of their marriage. Here again, however, the Bible consistently affirms that God is in control. As a matter of fact, all throughout Scripture, having children and not having children is ascribed to God. God controls the conception of Children. In fact, Psalm 139.13 goes a step further and says that God knit me together in my mother's womb. God not only controls conception, he even superintends the formation of that little one in his or her mother's womb. How then can we trust him in the midst of the pain of affliction or disease or the heartache of barrenness or of a child born with a major birth defect. If God is in control, why does he allow these things to happen? In order to trust God in adversity, we must believe that God is completely sovereign, perfect in love, 
and infinite in wisdom. Listen, those are three vital doctrinal components that you don't want to leave home without. And let me tell you where you won't find that. Where you won't find that insight by staring at your own life. You won't be able to figure out God and God's character by staring at your own life. But isn't that what we do when we get into a point of barrenness or adversity or difficulty? The difficulty absorbs us. And so what we do is we major in our circumstances, we stare at it, we study it, we know everything about it, we've brought our imaginations and we compare ourselves to Penina or whoever else, and then we kind of visit God just for a second to tell God, God, we don't get you. And we go back to our circumstances, we study and we study and we study, and then we go back and we visit God for a moment and we say, God, I don't get how you could do this, and we go back to our circumstances and we study and study and study. Listen, you, you don't find what you need by staring at your circumstances. You've got to go to Scripture. You've got to go to where God has made himself known. You need to go to Scripture because when you go to Scripture, what you will find out is that God is absolutely sovereign over every detail of your life. You will find that God perfectly loves you right in the midst of what you're puzzled about. His perfect love is not diminished. It's not off-site. He didn't turn it off. There's not a power failure in heaven. He's there loving you perfectly in it. And God, who creates plans for our lives, the Bible says, is infinitely and perfectly wise. Now, if I get convinced of those three things and now I visit my circumstance, I am going to look at that differently and feel differently about it. God is doing something here. I may not understand what God is doing, but God is doing something here. And then I can borrow some insights from examples like Hannah, where God was doing something here. As a matter of fact, Hannah could have borrowed from the, the patriarchal wives who went before her. God made a promise to Abraham to bless the entire world. And through you, this lineage through Abraham, God is going to bless the world. But yet Sarah couldn't have children. And went through years and years of barrenness. God was up to something in Sarah and in Abraham. By not letting a promise exist on Wednesday and the fulfillment happen on Friday. God made them wait quite a while. God was at work. And each of the patriarchs, Rebecca was barren. Rachel was barren. Isn't it interesting? God promised a lineage. The one thing the patriarchs needed to give to us was a lineage of faith who would deliver to us the Messiah. They had to have children. Most important thing that needed to happen was that the lineage that God made a promise to Abraham would be preserved so that the Messiah would come through him and the earth could be blessed with a Savior. And isn't it interesting that every one of them struggled with whether or not that promise would ever get fulfilled in their lives? See, apparently God doesn't just deliver promises. This is what I think he does. He prepares us to receive those promises. Ladies, that's happening right now at your address in your motherhood. God's made promises, and you probably feel like, yeah, but he, he's not coming through on them. Not right now. No, he is. But probably what he's doing is preparing you to be able to receive the promises 
And that's what God does with Hannah. Look at this thought from Robert Bergen. Hannah's infertility was no accident of nature. It was the deliberate work of the Lord. (laughs) What good covenantal promise or purposes can be accomplished through a woman's sterility? The thoughtful reader recalls that in the Torah, the people of Israel were forced to endure much torment before the Lord delivered them. Perhaps the portrayal of Hannah's affliction was meant to draw this parallel to mind, thus preparing them for an act of divine deliverance in Hannah's behalf. In spite of or perhaps because of her infertility, Hannah was a woman of faith. See, we don't ever stop and cross-examine circumstances that are in the Bible. We just read them and go on. What if God had not created this series of circumstances for Hannah where she had to wrestle with God and look to God and fight unbelief and wrestle with God, look to God and fight unbelief? What if she never had to do that? Do you just conclude that, oh, I'm sure she would have by faith taken her only son at that moment and given him over to this cornflake named Eli? Do you read the rest of the story? Ladies, do you want Eli babysitting your children? Do you want Eli to raise your children? If you read the rest of the story, within a few chapters of Hannah's story is Eli's story. Eli is going to fall under the judgment of God because he's got two sons that he raised that will not follow God. They will not submit to him, and he stopped correcting them. And they are way off, and they are leading all the nation of Israel into corruption as the priests over the house of God. And God comes to a point, and he says, there's nothing you can do to change what I'm about to do. I'm going to bring judgment upon the house of Eli. All right, ladies, you want to entrust your boy to be raised by Eli? That's a huge step of faith. Where, where did that kind of faith come from? So we just conclude the story that, boy, it's a shame that she had to labor under those circumstances for so long. Well, how do we know it's not exactly those circumstances that was preparing her? to be able to be the mom she needed to be, not just the mom she wanted to be. Most ladies just want to be a mom. God wants you to be a particular mom. He's going to give you particular children who have a particular future, and you're going to need to be prepared to be a particular mom to them. And that's what God's doing in her story. Listen, this is what God does in our lives. Look at your outline there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8, the Apostle Paul speaks of this dealing of God in his own life. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I can imagine that's how Hannah felt when she wasn't eating. She was under the weight of grief and sadness. Paul says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, as he did with Hannah, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul, why were you in this circumstance that felt like a crushing weight was sitting on your chest and you were ready to die? You were despairing. There's no way out of this situation. Why? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Before you read past that phrase too quickly, 
How many of you know that's not an easy thing to create in us? If you don't know that about yourself, you have some interesting learning ahead of you. That is, the default setting for our life is not rely on God. Look to God. Trust God. Believe God. God has promises. God has resources. God will be faithful. That's not the default setting of this fallen flesh, is it? The default setting for us is what can I do? What am I capable of? I'll take care of that. I got it. Thanks for the blessing. I got it. And we fight throughout our lives to learn how to, to trust and hope in God and God alone. I mean, really, if you, if you were trusting God, do you think you'd be pulling your hair out? Could, can you be anxious and trust God at the same time? <laughs> I mean, what are you worried about? You know, oh gosh, I think God's, I think he's on vacation this week. I mean, I know God's capable. I'm so, so believe. I'm in faith for God, but you know, he's unavailable this week. He's got appointments. I mean, what, how could you be anxious? What would you be thinking? It's a power outage. God used up all of his promises. I mean, if you really are trusting God, how could you be anxious? So, so if you are anxious, what does it give away? You're not trusting God. You're trusting you. Which is good grounds to be anxious, quite honestly. <laughs> I mean, there's no message you can stand up and preach and say, here's how you trust you in order to solve anxiety. There's no message like that that exists. If you choose to trust you, the wisest thing you can do is freak out and be anxious. Because <laughs> you're in trouble. But if you're trusting God, then you cannot be anxious, right? Well, are you aware question in your outline. Are we aware of the biblical pattern and revelation that God works in our lives through adversity to turn our attention to him so that we will look to him in faith, dependence, and obedience? God at work, this sovereign God at work in the circumstances of your life. Question, how do you understand the origins and conditions of your life. Where'd, where'd your life come from? How'd you get where you are? The life you're living, the marriage you have, the address you live at, the job you have, the children that you have or don't have. How'd you get where you are? Now you want to know that, don't you? We probably ask that question a lot. Well, you know, you got a few choices. Chance. Just chance. Just pure luck. Good luck. Right? Don't you love that phrase? I hate that phrase. Don't, don't come and tell me good luck, ever. Because there's no, there's no luck fairy out there. You know, there's, there's no uh, circumstantial situations that, are, that have a personality of their own that create something called luck. There's no chance. How did you get here? Fate. Destiny. What the heck is that? What is that, like gravitational pull, the orbit of something? It's fate. Where, well, okay, well, where'd fate come from? The fate fairy? I mean, there's got to be a living entity involved. This is not a universe run by chance. So you are not in the circumstances that you're in because it's just fate. It's, it's just chance. You just happen here. You're not in the circumstances ultimately, although perhaps on a one level you are, because of the evil people that are around you. 
And I know we're tempted to believe that, right? If it weren't for your spouse, what might your life really be like, huh? <laughs> Some of you are realizing how bad it would be if it weren't for them. <laughs> Was it the devil? The devil put you in these circumstances. The devil put this difficulty in your life. The devil brought this adversity to you. The devil created this problem with your children. Where, where are these things coming from? Fallen world? Well, all these things you can say yes, but not completely, except for chance. There is no such thing as chance. But do you live in a fallen world? Yes. Are there evil people around you? Yes. And they make decisions that affect you? Yes, they do. And you're one of the evil people that's making decisions that's affecting them. So, I mean, this, yeah, that's, that's here. But what I learned from looking at Scripture is that God is sovereign over your life. Hannah's not having children because the Lord has closed her womb. Now, as difficult as that might be to imagine, that's exactly what's happening right here. That's saying something to you about your situation right now. The Lord has been at work in your situation. You have the children you have because of the Lord. And you don't have other children because of the Lord. You have the circumstances that you have. Your children have the talents that they have. They have the personality that they have. Right? Remember, Jacob and Esau had issues in the womb. Not quite sure what teaching was going on to them in the womb, but they came out the way they were. A lot of your children, yes, you can sort of shave the edges off of them, but they are the way they are in a lot of ways. And you might like to ask God what he had in mind when that was going on in heaven. What were you thinking here? But here's the good news. He actually was thinking something. He was thinking that child needed you as a mom. And you needed that child as yours. So he really was up to something. Now listen, if you detach yourself from the sovereignty of God, you're going to feel very different about your parenting, aren't you? If this is by chance, you know, just bad luck of the draw, you ended up with that one, huh? <laughs> Too bad. Pull a straw next time, maybe you get a different one. <laughs> Hope so. Uh, no, 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 no. God is at work. God is at work. John Phillips said, all Hannah's troubles, even her barrenness and bitterness, were designed by God to drive her in desperation to him. Perhaps Samuel would not have been born if Penina had been kind to Hannah. Imagine the obnoxious people in your life are there for a purpose. <laughs> I'm just thinking a bunch of people just got named Penina in our heads, right? I'm going to be sending an email on Monday. Penina, cross it out. I mean... Uh, <laughs> God used Penina's acid tongue and spiteful disposition to accomplish his will. She made it worse for Hannah, but God was using it in Hannah. Robert Bergen says, In this passage, Israelite faith expresses its supreme paradox and boldest affirmation. The Lord may create social and natural tragedies in order to accomplish his purposes that far outweigh the calamity. Listen carefully. Human tragedy can be properly evaluated and appreciated only when viewed with the consideration of the end results and ultimate purposes brought about by 
God. Right? Do you hear that? You can only evaluate whether something's good or bad in your life after God has fully used it for his intentions. And so sometimes we're trying to make a decision, and it's only the second or third quarter, guys. Game is not over. You don't have all the information yet. In the end, God wins, and our minds are blown, and it's amazing. But in the second quarter, right, God is not unfaithful. God is at work in that moment. Right, a couple of more quick thoughts here. We learned something of the prayer life of a mother. This doesn't sound like good news, and I'm not quite sure it feels like good news. But this is how a mom prays, ladies, and you know this if you're a mom. Verse 10 of chapter 1 says, She was deeply distressed, praying through tears. If you're a mom, you know something about that. You know what it is to be in a place where you are deeply distressed, You are praying to God through tears concerning your children. Listen, ladies, do not feel like you're out of bounds when that's happening. Do not feel like life must be where it was never supposed to be for me to feel this way and be praying this way. No, no. Listen, you're a mom. You're not a farmer. Plants his crops. They grow up. He takes a sickle and cuts their heads off and sells them to people. You know, you're not a farmer. You're not a contractor who labors for nine months, builds a house, and sells it to a stranger. You're a mom. You're not going to carry your children in your heart like a house or a bunch of crops. You're going to carry them uniquely, and therefore you're going to pray a lot of tears into your prayers. Don't be surprised, ladies. All right, well, last thing. This is where I wanted to land. We learn something of the ultimate end of all things, including motherhood. Right? What is the great conclusion of Hannah's life as a mother? What, where does she conclude? Well, let's read together here. Chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. After this season of great difficulty, and she's now given her son to Eli for the purposes of God to be fulfilled in his life, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones 
but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. That's a worship service, isn't it? Now, can you notice something here? When Hannah gets to the close of this season in her life, she doesn't teach a lesson on motherhood. She gives you a lesson on God. When God has dealt with her through this season, with all the heartache and the bitter tears and the difficulty, what she has seen is God, and that's what she's about to tell you about, God. She goes off into all kinds of categories. You're thinking, what does this woman know about any of this stuff? Oh, she knows a lot. For her season of motherhood has afforded her the opportunity to see God in his splendor and in his glory. Listen, and it's seasons of adversities. This morning we're talking about mothers, but it's seasons of adversity. See, she sounds, she sounds just like Job, doesn't she? Remember the end of Job's life? After all his losses, all the pain, all the questions... There's about three chapters of God saying all that she just said. God goes on display. And Job says, I had heard of you with my ears, but now my eye sees you. She doesn't introduce that. She just comes right out and tells you, let me, let me tell you what I see of God. And she begins to exalt the greatness of God. See, motherhood for her was a means unto the ultimate end of all of our lives. Ladies, motherhood is not the ultimate end of your life. You weren't ultimately created to be a mother. You were ultimately created to be a worshiper of God. And that's where Hannah's story ends. We're going to go on and we're going to hear that she had more children, but Hannah's done. Her scene is over. But what a worshiper of God she became as she saw God. Listen, do you know of all that God is doing in your life, that's what he's after the most? See, so when you interpret your life in terms of, is God good based on my experience as a mother? Based on whether I've been able to have children, based on what happened when I did, based on what the outcome has been for my children, based on the life that they have, is God good? You're asking the wrong question based on the wrong information. God doesn't exist as a means unto your children being the end. Your children exist as a means unto God being the end in your life. And you seeing him and being affected deeply by who he is because of what God has done through you being a mother, that you might ultimately see this God in clarity and in amazement. And those passages in your outline there. Jeremiah 9 tells, this is what God's after. The Lord says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, let not the mother boast in her children, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. Right? Ultimately, if there's anything God wants you to get out of this world... It's knowing him. And he will do everything in his power to accomplish that end. And 
when you experience that, listen, you will be glad he did everything in his power to accomplish that. I see somebody shaking their head who's blowing me away because of the circumstances of their life, but who have said exactly this, exactly this has been said from their lips. Ladies, motherhood, it's quite a ride, isn't it? No matter how old your kids are, it's still quite a ride, isn't it? It's a means to something else. It's a means to you seeing God. Let me close with this thought from John Piper. His book called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. He says, seeing and savoring Jesus Christ is the most important seeing and savoring you will ever do. Eternity hangs on it. When I speak of seeing Jesus Christ, I don't mean seeing with the eyes of your head, but the eyes of your heart. Savoring Jesus Christ is the response to this second kind of seeing. When you see something as true and beautiful and valuable, you savor it. That is, you treasure it. You cherish and admire and prize it. Spiritual seeing and savoring are so closely connected that it would be fair to say if you don't savor Christ, you haven't seen Christ closely connected. I'm sorry, you haven't seen Christ for who he is. If you don't prize him above all things, you haven't apprehended his true worth. Listen, ladies, Hannah saw God through these circumstances of being a mother and longing to be a mother and the seasons that she went through. And I imagine those seasons absolutely continued because it says year after year when they would go to bring the offering back to Shiloh, she would have brought clothing that she had made for Samuel. Year after year, she saw her son Samuel once a year as she entrusted him to the purposes of God. Do you, do you think that took a little bit of faith to walk out? Oh, man. But listen, there's not only the effect that this had on God's purpose. Samuel became the man in God's purpose that he needed to be. And God started that all by starting with Hannah. Moms. Oh, would you give God the, the permission, if you will, to start with you, to do something in you that's going to produce tears and heartache and difficulty that's going to drive you to God in such a way that you have to depend upon him because through you as a mom, he wants to do something into your little Samuels who are one day going to grow up and they're going to be something for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. But I don't even want that to be your ultimate end. It's ultimately the end of you as a person, moms here today, is, is not so that your children grow up to be awesome in the kingdom of God. Here's the end for you as a mom. Seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. And God is going to use your motherhood to bring you close and let you see that. Now what I'd like to do for us to close here is I'd like to pray for moms 
who are in various seasons. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, and you may be in more than one season here, so you may be standing a couple of times. But when we pray for folks, the Spirit of God joins with us. So God is here in our midst. And he's here to affect his people. And so this this is not just a nice thought for you to listen to. I I want to ask you to stand in just a moment. I want you to stand full of faith that there's this mystery taking place in this meeting right now where the Spirit of God is present to impart something to you. You know, you travel through the airport these days, they got those quick chargers for your uh, phone. You can step up for like a quarter and you get like hyper boost quick charge thing and your phone works for, you know, an hour or so. Listen, God imparts to us by the Spirit. So I can't imagine there's a mom in this building who doesn't need something from God. I got front row seats to the mom show and moms need something from God. So here's what I'd like to pray for first. You can just stand where you are. You don't have to come forward. All those who are here who are desiring to be a mom, and I'll just mean desiring to be a mom right now and I'm not able to be. Or we've, we've had a child or we've even adopted, but we've not been able to have more children and we've desired to do that. But if you're in touch with a longing to be a mom, you might be a single person here today and you're in touch with a longing to be a mom, but, you, but you're, you're not married and so obviously there's, there's some difficulty and how that's going to unfold in your life. But if you're here this morning, you have a desire to be a mom. You might already be a mom. You might not be. Can I get you to stand up here? It's a noble desire. I hope there's not a single person here going, oh, I don't, I don't want to stand up. Stand up. Being a mom's a worthy thing. It's the most worthy thing you're going to do in your life besides worship God. And I'd like just, you know, if you're just around these, these ladies who are standing, if you would perhaps extend yourself to them and Pray for them with me as I lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for these ladies whose heart is toward the wonderful calling of of being a mom. Lord, there's such worth in that calling that it's easy to find themselves in the place like Hannah, growing a bit desperate feeling the weight of a hope that's been deferred, feeling sick of heart sometimes. Or maybe some of the ladies that are standing are just anticipating the day. It hasn't been a difficult thing for them to pursue, but their hearts are beginning to turn toward that. Lord, would you this morning make them aware? Make them aware even now. You are at work. You are sovereignly at work in their lives. Lord, the day of their pregnancy awaits your sovereign work. Lord, more than their hope in themselves, more than their hope in fertility, more than their hope in their husband, Lord, their hope is in you. God, teach them to see that. Teach them those valuable lessons that they will cling to for the rest of their lives. God, teach them to see you in the midst of their longings. Draw them near in their tears, Lord, that they might pray as a mom prays close to the heart of God, seeing you in your glory. Lord, let today, let Mother's Day today be a particular imparting to them as they wait, as they wait, Lord. If you're here this morning and and you are living in Toddlerville, or maybe you have elementary 
school age kids, and there's a lot of attention going to caring for little ones, maybe you have infants in the house. Can I get you moms to, to stand up for us to pray for you this morning? I don't even have to ask this group of moms. How many moms know you need something from God? <laughs> uh, have mercy, Lord. You guys know you need something from God. Listen, can you ladies, can I give permission a little bit here to you ladies? Um, this is weird for a pastor to say this, so shut the recording off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do you notice that when Samuel was little, before he was being given to Eli and Elkanah would go year after year, normally she'd make the trip with him. Did you, did you notice, though, in the years when he was little, she didn't attend the meeting? She stayed home with Samuel. Listen, ladies, sometimes, and this is a hard thing, right? Because what you hear from us as pastors is be here, be involved, stay involved, help, serve, get involved. Where were you? We haven't seen you. Right, you hear all that from us. Uh, sometimes what you're doing and your calling means you just need to give your attention to your little one. And you don't need to feel guilty about doing that. You don't need to freak out. You don't need to write us a note. You don't need permission from your doctor. <laughs> um, you just need to serve that little one. Because you need grace right now. This is, a, this is a challenging season for you. So let's pray. Guys, let's pray. Ladies here, let's pray for these moms in this season of their lives. Oh, Lord, when I think of this season of motherhood, the word fatigue comes to mind. <laughs> And with fatigue often comes um, speed bumps that get transformed into small mountain ranges. <laughs> so, Lord, this is, a, this is a challenging season to think your way through. Lord, it's a challenging season to feel like you've got the energy to pull it off. This is a challenging season to feel like you've got the right thing to say or you know how to organize everything or you're on top of stuff. Lord, this... This can be a discouraging season for moms. But Lord, we come to you today. We come with them. We come on their behalf. We come praying and asking for grace for them. Unique grace, unique abilities by you to strengthen the weary, to invigorate with energy that just comes from you. God, it doesn't come from a good night's sleep, but it comes from you, God, supernaturally. God, thank you for manna from heaven for moms in this place a provision that doesn't have any natural explanation to it, but just God has been supplying into my life. And we pray that for them. God, what we cannot pray and what you would not have us pray is a prayer that sounds like a desire for you to rescue them from all the difficulty of this season. Oh, Lord, my humanness says yes, but God, your supernatural work says no, I will not. They will pray prayers with tears. They will reach out to me. They will feel perhaps like they've got the sentence of death wrapped around them. And this is so that they might learn 
to trust me, to look to me. They will cry uncle so that they might look to me for grace and strength and provision. Lord, for the moms that are here in a variety of places in this category, Lord, there are single moms here. There are moms with multiple children here. Lord, uniquely meet them. And Lord, may it be that at the end of this season, Lord, like Hannah, they're able to look heavenward and proclaim the excellencies of their God, for they have drawn near to you, and this has been an opportunity for them to see you. In Jesus' name. How about you moms that are here this morning? Your, your children are in the teen years, or they're venturing into that pivot range. Let me ask you guys to stand up. Moms of teens and pivoteers and Soon to be married, you think, or hope, or wish, or wish not. <laughs> it's a lot of different circumstances here, aren't there? There can be moms that are here going, man, I can't wait for so-and-so to get married. And there are some of you going, no, no, don't marry him, no. So <laughs> different prayer is needed. <clears throat> this can be a panic season. <laughs> Big decisions are being made. Let's pray for these ladies. If you're near them, please just extend a hand to them and join our faith together. Lord, thank you for these ladies here in our midst. Lord, thank you. These ladies right here, they're like ballast in the ship, Lord. Thank you for the, the sense of balance that they bring to our lives. Lord, thank you for what they're doing in, in very volatile lives. Lord, teenagers and young adults live in a volatile season. They make decisions sometimes that are anywhere from mundane to catastrophic. And these ladies, they interact with those decisions, Lord, on a daily basis, and they're struggling to figure out what to say, what not to say, what to impart, what not to impart. Do I say that again? Do I come down hard? Do I back off? Do I give mercy this time? Oh God, these, these are challenging seasons. These are relationships that are being stretched and pulled upon. And we pray for these ladies in this season. And we pray for the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Your nearness and your comfort, Spirit of God, to lift their head, to cause them to look to you, to be led into the truth in a way that gives them hope and assurance of your faithfulness to them. God, when things are moving so quickly around them, God, give them a sense of peace, fruit of the Spirit, joy. Oh, Lord, may it be that, that they exit these years and their children there are able to say, my mom had joy, and I don't know how she could have after all I put her through. God, we pray that you'd give to them the word of wisdom. Lord, these are gifts of the Spirit. Lord, they're needed. This is ministry taking place in these homes. God, give to them the word of wisdom. Give to them the word of knowledge that they might understand and see and know how truth fits into their young person's life. God, may they come through these years with a greater dependence than ever on you, with a celebration of what they have seen of you. May they be able to go through these years and say, I would do it all again that I might see my God the way that I have learned to see him. In Jesus' name. All right, all the mothers that are here, that you have taken on the extended title of mother-in-law. 
you at some point have become a mother-in-law. See, you thought you had challenges when you were raising your own children. And then you inherited somebody else's. <laughs> uh. Looking around here, we got we got fresh mother-in-laws here. You have no idea what you've gotten into. <laughs> we have grandmother-in-laws here. We got any great-grandmother-in-laws here? Beautiful. You know, as I was thinking through writing that poem Friday. It was a lot of your stories that were just flooding through my mind. Because, you know, when you're, when you're my age and you're raising kids that are our age, you know, you, you, you think that sort of your parental finish line is a lot closer than it really is. And then you realize there is no finish line. <laughs> uh, and watching the lives that you guys are living and the way in which you're involved with your children and the way in which you're involved with your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You need grace from God, don't you? Kids get older, they get more complicated. And you are caring for them in the midst of their complications. So let's extend our faith and our prayers to these guys. If you're near them, let's pray for our mother-in-laws. Lord, what a unique season these ladies can speak from. Lord, their resume is impressive. Lord, they have run the race. They have not yet finished the course, but they have run the race. And Lord, this is a unique season for them yet to close out the race. And Lord, if you're a sports fan, you know you want to close well. You want to finish strong. You want to save some kick for the end. And so, God, we're praying for that, for these ladies here. Some of them that are, that are approaching the later portions of the race. God, you be the kick in their step, Lord. Life is different for them. They don't have the energy levels they had earlier in their motherhood years. And, Lord, it's very easy at this point for a, a sense of disdain even to set in because they've had many experiences, some of them just repeatedly bad. They've seen life, and Lord, it hasn't always been pleasant. But yet, Lord, they are influencing generations behind them. They're continuing to impart. God, I pray for their, their ministry, not only in their homes, not only with those who they are related to, but God, may their ministry flourish in this church. Lord, how we need these women right here in this church to affect the generation that's coming to bring faith to moms who are coming behind them, to influence our young daughters who have yet to choose a husband. So what should they be looking for? Oh, Lord, let their life experience be richly imparted for generations to come. Lord, there are health issues for these ladies that often will rule the day. Oh, God, we pray your grace be upon their physical bodies. But we pray for strength and vitality for them.
for the task that you've called them to. We pray for the gift of healing for many of them to experience freedom from those things that have become a weight and a burden in their own bodies. God, we pray that you will give them the grace to look back. To grace the gaze upon their lives, Lord, and not to major in regret, but to see a sovereign God's hands. To see that even in the difficult times, in the difficult seasons of relationships, God, you were at work. Those were circumstances that needed to happen, even though we probably would have preferred they didn't. For you are at work, God. Give them faith to look backward upon their lives, to see your hand involved. So, Lord, we pray your sustaining grace upon these moms, all the moms in our midst. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege to honor them. Lord, thank you for the way they serve us. Because really, Lord, nobody outserves a mom. And we're grateful for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.